Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening in. I apologize. It's been some time since I last put out an episode. I've been a little sick and my voice has not been up to par. Um, and uh, now I'm feeling a little bit better and I hope that my voice is better for you as well. So I will continue with my podcast, the dramatic reading of R.A. Salvatore's The Legend of Drizzt series, Book One, Homeland also known as Book One of the Dark Elf Trilogy. Part Four, Guenevar. What eyes are these that see the pain I know in my innermost soul? What eyes are these that see the twisted strides of my kindred, led on in the wake of toys unbridled, arrow, bolt, and sword tip? Yours, I yours, straight run and muscled spring, soft unpadded paused, Sheathed claws, weapons rested for their need, stained not by frivolous blood or murderous deceit. Face to face, my mirror, reflection in a still pool by light. Would that I might keep that image upon this face mine own. Would that I might keep that heart within my breast untainted. Hold tight to the proud honor of your spirit, mighty Guenevar, and hold tight to my side, my dearest friend. Chapter 17. Homecoming. Drizzt was graduated formally on a schedule and with the highest honors in his class. Perhaps Matron Malice had whispered into the right ears, soothing over her son's indiscretions, but Drizzt suspected that more than likely none of those present at the ceremony of graduation even remember that he had left. He moved through the decorated gate of House Dorden, drawing stairs from the common soldiery, and over to the cavern floor below the balcony. So I am home, he remarked under his breath, for whatever that means. After what had happened in the drier lair, Driz wondered if he would ever view House Dorden his, as his home again. Major Malice was expecting him. He didn't dare arrive late. It's good that you are home. Brisa said to him when she saw him rise up over the balcony's railing. Driz stepped tentatively through the entryway beside his oldest sister, trying to get a firm grasp on his surroundings. Home, Brisa called it, but to Drizzt, House Dorden seemed as unfamiliar as the academy had on his first day as a student. Ten years was not such a long time in the centuries of a life of a drow elf might know, but to Drizzt... More than a decade of absence now separated him from this place. Maya joined them in the great corridor leading to the chapel anteroom. Greetings, Prince Trizd, she said, and Driz couldn't tell if she was being sarcastic or not. We have heard of the honors you achieved at Mille McFairy. Your skill with did House Dorden proud. In spite of her words, Maya could not hide a derisive chuckle as she finished the thought. Glad I am that you did not become dried of food. Drid's glare stole that smile from her face. Maya and Brisa exchanged concerned glances. They knew of the punishment Vierne had put upon their younger brother and of the vicious scolding he had received at the hands of Matron Malice. They each cautiously rested a hand on their snake whips, not knowing how foolish their dangerous young brother might have become. It was not Matron Malice or Drid's sisters that now had Drid measuring every step before he took it. He knew where he stood with his mother and knew what he had to do to keep her appeased. There was another member of the family, though, that evoked both confusion and anger in Drizzt. 
of all his kin, only Zeknafian pretended to be what he was not. As Driz made his way to the chapel, he glanced anxiously down every side passage, wondering when Zack would make his appearance. "'How long before you leave for patrol?' Maya asked, pulling Driz from his contemplations. Two days,' Driz replied absently, his eyes still darting from shadow to shadow. Then he was at the anteroom door with no sign of Zack. Perhaps the weapon master was within, standing beside Matron Malice. "'We know of your indiscretions,' Brisa snapped, suddenly cold as she placed her hand on the latch to the anteroom's door. Driz was not surprised by her outburst. He was beginning to expect such explosions from the high priestesses of the Spider Queen. "'Why could you not just enjoy the pleasures of the ceremony?' Maya added, we are fortunate that the mistresses and the matron of the academy were too involved in their own excitement to note your movements. You would have been brought shame upon our entire house. You might have placed matron Malice's in Loth's disfavor, Brisa was quick to add. The best thing I could ever do for her, Driz thought. He quickly dismissed the notion, remembering Brit's uncanny proficiency at reading minds. Let us hope he did not, Maya said grimly to her sister. The tides of war hang thick in the air. I have learned my place, Trist assured them. He bowed low. Forgive me, my sisters. I know that the truth of the drow world is fast opening before my young eyes. Never will I disappoint House Dorden in such a way again. So pleased were his sisters at the proclamation that the ambiguity of Drist's words slipped right past them. Then Drizzt, not wanting to push his luck too far, also slipped past them, making his way through the door, noting with relief that Zaknafian was not in attendance. All praises to the Spider Queen! Brisa yelled after him. Drizzt paused and turned to meet her gaze. He bowed low a second time. As it should be, he muttered. Creeping behind the small group, Zack had studied Drizzt's every move, trying to measure the toll a decade at the Academy had exacted on the young fighter. Gone now was the customary smile that lit Drizzt's face. Gone, too, Zack supposed, was the innocence that he had kept this one apart from the rest of Menza Baranzan. Zack leaned back heavily against the wall in the side passage. He had caught only portions of the conversations at the anteroom door. Most clearly, he had heard Drizzt's heartfelt accord with Brisa's honoring of Lolf. What have I done? The weapon master asked himself. He looked back around the bend in the main quarter, but the door to the anteroom had already closed. Truly, when I look upon the drow, the drow warrior, that was my most treasured. I shamed for my cowardice, Zack lamented. What has Drizzt lost that I might have saved? He drew his smooth sword from its scabbard, his sensitive fingers running the length of the razor edge. A finer blade would you, you would be had to taste. A finer blade you would be had, you tasted the blood of Drizdorden, to deny this world, our world, another soul for its taking, to free that one from the unending torments of life. He lowered the weapon's tip to the floor. But I am a coward, he said. I have failed in the one act that could have brought meaning to my pitiful existence. The second boy of House Dorden lives, it would appear. But Drizdorden, my two hands, is long dead. Zack looked back to the emptiness where Drizzt had been standing, the weapon master's expression suddenly a grimace. Yet this pretender lives. A drow warrior. Zack's weapon clanged to the stone floor, and his head slumped down to be caught by the embrace of his open palms. 
the only shield Zagnathian Dorden had ever found. Driss spent the next day at rest, mostly in his room, trying to keep out of the way of the other members of his immediate family. Malice had dismissed him without a word in her, their initial meeting, but Driss did not want to confront her again. Likewise, he had little to say to Brees and Maya, fearing that sooner or later they would begin to understand the true connotations of his continuing stream of blasphemous responses. Most of all, though, Driss did not want to see Zachnafian, the mentor he had once thought of as his salvation against the realities around him, the one glowing light in the darkness that was Menzel Branson. That, too, Driss believed, had been only a lie. On a second day home in Narbondal, the time clock of the city had just begun its cycle of light, the door to Drizd's small chamber swung open and Brisa walked in. An audience with Matron Malice, she said grimly. A thousand thoughts rushed through Drizd's mind as he grabbed his boots and followed his oldest sister down the passageways of the house chapel. Had Malice and the others discovered his true feelings toward their evil deity? What punishments did they now have waiting for him? Unconsciously, Drizzt eyed the spider carvings on the chapel's arched entrance. You should be more familiar and more at ease with this place, Brisa scolded, noting his discomfort. It is the place of our people's highest glories. Drizzt lowered his gaze and did not respond, and was careful not to even think of the many stinging retorts he felt in his heart. His confusion doubled when they entered the chapel, for Risen, Maya, and Zaknafian stood before the matron mother as expected. Beside them, though, stood Dinan and Vienna. We are all present, Brisa said, taking her place at her mother's side. Kneel, Malice commanded, and the whole family fell to its knees. The matron mother paced slowly around them all, each pointedly dropping his or her eyes in reverence, or just in common sense, as the great lady walked by. Malice stopped beside Drizzt. "'You are confused by the presence of Din in Vienna,' she said. Drizzt looked up at her. "'Do you not yet understand the subtle methods of our survival?' "'I had thought that my brother and sister were to continue on at the academy,' Drizzt explained. "'That would not be to our advantage,' Malice replied. "'Does it not bring a house strength to have mistresses and masters seated in the academy?' Drizzt dared to ask. It does, replied Malice, but it separates the power. You have heard tidings of war? I have heard hinting of trouble, said Drizzt, looking over at Vienna. Though nothing more tangible. Hinting? Malice huffed, angered that her son would, could not understand the importance. They are more than more, most houses ever here before the blade falls. She spun away from Drizzt and addressed the whole group. The rumors hold truth, she declared. Who? Brisa asked. What house conspires against House Borden? None behind us in rank, Dinan replied, though the question had not been asked to him, and it was not his place to speak, unbidden. How do you know this? Malice asked, letting the oversight pass. Malice understood Dinan's value and knew that his contributions to the discussion would be important. We are the house, ninth house of the city, Dinan reasoned, but among our ranks we claim four high priestesses, two of them former mistresses of Arachtinolith. He looked at Zack. We have, as well, two former masters of Mila McFerre, and Driz was awarded the highest laurels from the school of fighters. Our soldiers number nearly four hundred, all skilled and battle-tested. Only a few houses claim more. What is your point? Brisa asked sharply. We are the ninth house, Dinan laughed, but few above us could defeat us. 
And none behind, Matron Malice finished for him. You show good judgment, elder boy. I have come to the same conclusions. One of that great house is Fear's house to Orden, Verna concluded. It needs us gone to protect its own position. That is my belief, Malice answered. An uncommon practice for family wars usually are initiated by the lower-ranking house, desiring a better position within this city hierarchy. Then we must take great care, Brisa said. Drizzt listened carefully to the words, trying to make sense of it all. His eyes never left Zachnafian, though, who knelt impassively at the side. What did the callous weapon master think of all this? Drizzt wondered. Did the thought of such a war thrill him, that he might be able to kill more dark elves? Whatever his feelings, Zach gave no outward clue. He sat quietly, and by all appearances was not even listening to the conversation. It would not be, Ben Ray, Brisa said, her words sounding like a plea for confirmation. Certainly we have not yet become a threat to them. We must hope that you are correct, Malice replied grimly, remembering vividly her tour of the ruling house. Likely it is one of the weaker houses above us, fearing its own unsteady position. I have not yet been able to learn of any incriminating information against any in particular, so we must prepare for the worst. Thus, I have called Vienna and Dinan back to my side. If we learn of our enemies, Triz began impulsively, all eyes snapped upon him. It was bad enough for the elder boy to speak without being addressed, but for the second boy, just graduated from the academy, the act could be considered blasphemous. Wanting all perspectives, Matron Malice again let the oversight pass. Continue, she promised. If we discover which house plots against us, Triz said quietly, could we not expose it? To what end? Brisa snarled at him. Conspiracy without action is no crime. Then might we use reason, Drizzt pressed, continuing against the barrage of incredulous glares that came at him from every face in the room, except from Zack's. If we are the stronger, then let them submit without battle. Break house to it as it should be, and let the assumed threat to the weaker house be ended. Malice grabbed Drizzt by the front of his cloak and heaved him to his feet. I forgive you your foolish thoughts, she growled. This time! She dropped him back to the floor, and the silent reprimands of his siblings descended upon him. Again, though, Zack's expression did not match the others in the room. Indeed, Zack put a hand up over his mouth to hide his amusement. Perhaps there remained a bit of the Drizzt he had known. He dared to hope. Perhaps the Academy had not fully tainted the young fighter's spirit. Malice whirled on the rest of the family, simmering fury and lust glowing in her eyes. This is not the time to fear. This, she cried, a slender finger pointing out from in front of her face, is the time to dream. We are House Dorden, Dalman, Nashazbernan, a power beyond the understanding of the great houses. We are the unknown entity of this war. We hold every advantage. Ninth house, she laughed. In short time, only seven houses will remain ahead of us. Watch on the patrol, Brisa cut in. Are we to allow the second boy to go off alone, exposed? The patrol will begin our advantage, the conniving matron explained. Trist will go, and included in his group will be a member of at least four of the houses above us. One may strike at him, Brisa reasoned. No, Malice assured her. Our enemies in the coming war would not reveal themselves so clearly. Not yet. The appointed assassin would have to defeat two Dordans in such a confrontation. 
too? Fiona asked. Again, Loth has shown us her favor, exclaimed Malice. Dinan will lead Drizzt's patrol group. The elder boy's eyes lit up at the news. Then Drizzt and I might become the assassins in this conflict, he purred. The smile disappeared from his matron mother's face. You will not strike without my consent, she warned in a tone so cold that Dinan fully understood the consequences of disobedience, as you have done in the past. Drizzt did not miss the reference to Nalthian, his murdered brother. His mother knew. Malice had done nothing to punish her murderous son. Now Drizzt's hand went up to his face to hide an expression of horror that only could have brought him trouble in this setting. You are there to learn, Major Malice said to Dinan, to protect your brother as Drizzt is there to protect you. Do not destroy our advantage for the gain of a single kill. An evil smile found its way back into a bone-hued face. But if you learn of our enemy, she said. If the proper opportunity presents itself, Brisa finished, guessing her mother's wicked thoughts and throwing an equally vile smile the matron's way. Malice looked upon her eldest daughter with approval. Brisa could, would prove a fine successor to the house. Dinan's smile became wide and lascivious. Nothing pleased the elder boy of House Jordan more than the opportunity for an assassination. Go then, my family, Malice said. Remember that unfriendly eyes are upon us, watching our every move, waiting for the whole time to strike. Zack was the first out of the chapel, as always, this time with an added spring in his step. It wasn't the prospect of fighting another war that guided his moves, though the killing of more clerics of the Spider Queen certainly pleased him. Rather, Drizzt's display of naivety, his continued misconceptions of the common wheel of drow existence, brought Zack hope. Drizzt watched him go, thinking Zack's strides reflected his desire to kill. Drizzt didn't know whether to follow and confront the Weapon Master here and now or let it pass, to shrug it away as readily as he had dismissed most of the cruel world around him. The decision was made for him when Major Malice stepped in front of him and kept him in the chapel. To you I say this, she began when they were alone. You have heard the mission I placed upon your shoulders. I will not tolerate failure. Drizzt shrank back from the power of her voice. Protect your brother, came the grim warning, or I shall give you to Loth for judgment. Drizzt understood the implications, but the matron took the pleasure to spell them out anyway. You would not enjoy your life as a drider. A lightning blast cut across the still black waters of the underground lake, searing the heads of the approaching water trolls. Sounds of battle echoed through the cavern. Drizzt had a one monster, Scrags, they were called, cornered on a small peninsula, blocking the wretched thing's past back to the water. Normally, a single drow faced off evenly against a water troll would not have the advantage, but as the others of his patrol group had come to see in the past few weeks, Drizzt was no ordinary young drow. The scrag came on, oblivious to its peril. A single blinding movement from Drizzt lopped off the creature's reaching arms. Drizzt moved in quickly for the kill, knowing too well the regenerative powers of trolls. Then another scrag slipped out of the water at his back. Drizzt had expected this, but he gave no outward indication that he saw the second scrag coming. He kept his concentration ahead of him, driving deep slashes into the maimed and all but defenseless troll's torso. 
Just as the monster behind him was about to latch its claws onto him, Drizzt fell to his knees and cried, No! The concealed panther crouched in the shadows of the peninsula's base did not hesitate. One great stride brought Guinevar into position, and it sprang, crashing heavily onto the unsuspecting scrag, tearing the life from the thing before it could respond to the attack. Drizzt finished off his troll and turned to admire the panther's work. He extended his hand, and the great cat nuzzled it. How well the two fighters had come to know each other, thought Drizzt. Another blast of lightning thundered in, this one close enough to steal Drizzt's sight. Guinevar! Massage Hunet, the mat bolts caster cried, To my side! The panther managed to brush against Drizzt's leg as it moved to obey. When his vision returned, Drizzt walked off in the other direction, not wanting to view the scolding that Guinevar always seemed to receive when he and the cat worked together. Massage watched Drizzt back as he went, wanting to put a third bolt right between the young door and shoulder blades. The wizard of House Honette did not miss the specter of Dinan Dorden off to the side, watching with more than casual glances. Learn your loyalties, Massage snarled at Guinevar. Too often the panther left the wizard's side to join in combat with Drizzd. Massage knew that the cat was better complemented by the moves of a fighter, but he knew, too, the vulnerability of a wizard involved in spellcasting. Massage wanted Guinevar at his side, protecting him from enemies. He shot another glance at Dinan, and friends alike. He threw the statue to the ground at his feet. Be gone! he commanded. In the distance, Drizzt had engaged another scrag and made short work of it as well. Massage took his, shook his head as he watched the display of swordsmanship. Every day, Drizzt grew stronger. Give the order to kill him soon, Matron Senefe, Massage whispered. The young wizard did not know how much longer he would be able to carry out the task. Massage wondered whether he could win the fight even now. Drizzt shielded his eyes as he struck a torch to seal a dead troll's wounds. Only fire ensured that trolls would not recuperate, even from the grave. The other battles had died away as well, Drizzt noted, and he saw the flames of torches spring up all across the bank of the lake. He wondered if all of his twelve drow companions had survived, though he also wondered if he truly cared. Others were more than ready to take their places. Drizzt knew that the only companion who really mattered, Guinevar, was safely back in his home on the astral plane. For my guard, came Dinan's echoing command as the slaves, goblins, and orcs moved in to search for troll treasure and to salvage whatever they might in the, of the scrags. When the fires had consumed the scrag he'd set ablaze, Driz dipped his torch in the black water, then paused for a moment to let his eyes readjust to the darkness. Another day, he said softly, another enemy defeated. He liked the excitement of patrolling, the thrill of the edge of danger, and the knowledge that he was now putting his weapons to use against vile monsters. Even here, though, Driz could not escape the lethargy that had come to pervade his life. The general resignation that marked his every step, for, though his battles these days were fought against the horrors of the Underdark, monsters killed of necessity, Driz had not forgotten the meeting in the chapel of House Dorden. He knew that his scimitars would soon be put to use against the flesh of drow elves. Sagnafian looked out over Mendelbrands, and as he so often did when Driz's patrol group was out of the city. Zack was torn between wanting to sneak out of the house to fight at Driz's side and hoping that the patrol would return with the news that Driz had been slain. 
Would Zack ever find the answer to the dilemma of the youngest Dorden? He wondered. Zack knew that he could not leave the house. Matron Malice was keeping a very close eye on him. She sensed his anguish over Driz, Zack knew, and she most definitely did not improve. Zack was often her lover, but they shared little other than that. Zack thought back to the battles he and Malice had fought over Vienna, another child of common concern centuries before. Vienna was a female. Her fate sealed from the moment at her, of her birth, and Zack could do nothing to halt the assault of the Spider Queen's overwhelming religion. Did Malice fear that he might have better luck influencing the actions of a male child? Apparently the matron did, but even Zack was not so certain if her fears were justified. Even he couldn't measure the, his influence over Drizzt. He peered out over the city now, silently watching for the patrol's group's return, waiting, as always, for Drizzt's safe return, but secretly hoping that his dilemma would be ended by the claws and fangs of a lurking monster. Chapter 18, The Back Room My greetings, faceless one, the high priestess said, pushing past Alton into his private chambers of sorcery. And, and mine to you, Mistress Vienna. Olsen replied, trying to keep the fear out of his voice. Vienna Dorden coming to see him at this time had to be more than coincidence. What act has brought me the honor of a visit from a mistress of Arachtinolith? No longer a mistress, said Vienna. I have returned to my home. Olsen paused to consider the news. He knew that Dinan Dorden had also resigned his position at the academy. Matron Malice has brought her family back together. Vienna continued. There are stirrings of war. You have heard them, no doubt. Just rumors, Alton stuttered, now beginning to understand why Vienna had come to call on him. House Dorden had used the Faceless One before in its plotting, in its attempt to assassinate Alton. Now, with rumors of war whispered throughout Menzabaran's, and Matron Malice was re-establishing her network of spies and assassins. You know of them, Vienna asked sharply. I have heard little, Alton breathed, careful not now to anger the power of a female. Not enough to report to your house. I did not even suspect the house Dorden was involved until now, when you informed me. Alton could only hope that Vianna had no detection spell aimed at his words. Vianna relaxed, apparently appeased by the explanation. Listen more carefully to the rumors, faceless one, she said. My brother and I have left the academy. You are to be the eyes and ears of House Dorden in this place. But, Elton stuttered. Vienna held up a hand to stop him. We know of our failure in our last transactions, she said. She bowed low, something a high priestess really did to a male. Matron Malice sends her deepest apologies to that Unjuance you received from the assassination of Alton de Ver did not restore the features to your face. Alton nearly choked on the words, now understanding why an unknown messenger had delivered the jar of healing salve some thirty years before. The cloaked figure was an agent of House Dorden, come to repay the faceless one for his assassination of Alton. Of course, Alton had never get, even tried the unjuant. With his luck, it would have worked and would have restored the features of Alton Bevere. This time your payment cannot fail, Vienna went on, though Alton, too caught up in the irony of it all, hardly listened. House Dorden possesses a wizard's staff, but no wizard worthy to wield it. It belonged to Nalfian, my brother, who died in the victory over Devere. Alton wanted to strike out at her. 
Even he wasn't that stupid, though. If you can discern which house plots against House Durden, Vienna promised, the staff will be yours. A treasure indeed for such a small act. I will do what I can, Alton replied, having no other response to the incredible offer. That is all Matron Malice asks of you, said Vienna, and she left the wizard, quite certain that House Durden had secured a capable agent within the academy. Dinan and Vienna Durden have resigned the positions, said Alton excitedly as the diminutive matron mother came to him later that same evening. This is already known to me, replied Simothée Hunnett. She looked around disdainfully at the littered and scorched room, then took a seat at the small table. There is more, Alton said quickly, not wanting Sinefe to get upset about being disturbed over old news. I have had a visitor this day, Mistress Vienna Doran. She suspects, Matron Sinefe growled. No, no, Alton replied, quite the opposite. House Doran wishes to employ me as a spy, as it once employed the faceless one to assassinate me. Sinefe paused for a moment. Stunned, then issued a laugh straight from her belly. Ha <laughs> ha! The ironies of our lives, she roared. I had heard that Dinan Vienna was sent back to the academy only to oversee the education of the younger brother, remarked Alton. An excellent cover, Sinafe replied. Vienna and Dinan were sent as spies for the ambitious matron Malice. My compliments to her. Now they suspect trouble, Alton stated, sitting opposite his matron mother. They do, agreed Sinefe. Massage patrols with drifts, but House Dorden has also managed to plant Dinan in the croup. And massage is in danger, reasoned Alton. No, said Sinefe. House Dorden does not know what House Hunet perpetrates the threat against it, else it would not have come to you for information. Matron Malish knows your identity. A look of terror crossed Alton's face. Not your true identity, Sinefe laughed at him. She knows the faceless one as Jalrus Hunet, and she would not have come to a Hunet if she suspected our house. Then we have an excellent opportunity to throw House Dorden into chaos, Alton cried. If I implicate another house, even Banred, perhaps our position will be strengthened. He chuckled at the possibilities. Malice will reward me with a staff of great power, a weapon I will turn against her at the proper moment. Matron Malice, Santa Fe corrected sternly. Even though she and Malice were soon to be open enemies, Santa Fe would not permit a male to show such disrespect to a matron mother. Do you really believe that you could carry out such a deception? When Mistress Vienna returns, you will not deal with a lesser priestess with such valued information, foolish Devere. You will face Matron Malice herself. A formidable foe. If she sees through your lies, do you know what she will do to your body? Alton gulped audibly. I am willing to take the risk, he said, crossing his arms, resolutely on the table. What of House Hunet when the biggest lie is revealed? Sinefe asked. What advantage will we enjoy when Matron Malice knows the faceless one's true identity? I understand, Alton answered crestfallen but unable to refute Sanefe's logic. Then what are we to do? What am I to do? Matron Sanefe was already considering their next moves. You resign your tenure, she said at length, 
returned to House Onet within my protection. Such an act might also implicate House Onet to Major Mass, Alton reasoned. It may, replied Senefe, but it is the safest route. I will go to Major Mellis in feigned anger, telling her to leave House Onet out of her troubles. If she wishes to make an informant of a member of my family, then she should come to me for permission. They will not grant it this time. Senefe smiled at the possibilities of such an encounter. My anger, my fear alone would, could implicate a greater house against House Durden, even a conspiracy between more than one house, she said, mm -hmm. obviously enjoying the added benefits. Matron Malice will certainly have much to think about and much to worry about. Alton hadn't even heard Santa Fe's last comments. The words about granting her permission this time had brought a disturbing notion into his mind. And did she, he dared to ask, though his words were barely audible. What do you mean? asked Santa Fe, not following his thoughts. Did Matron Malice come to you? Alton continued, frightened but needing an answer. Thirty years ago, did Matron Santa Fe grant her permission for Jerusalem to become an agent, an assassin to complete House Tavir's elimination? A wide smile spread across Santa Fe's face, but it vanished in the blink of an eye as she threw the table across the room, grabbed Alton by the front of his robes, and pulled him roughly to within an inch of her scowling visage. Never confuse personal feelings with politics! The tiny but obviously strong matron growled, her tone carrying the unmistakable weight of an open threat, and never ask me to such a question again! She threw Alton to the floor, but did not release him from her penetrating glare. Alton had grown, known all along that he was merely a pawn in the intrigue between House Onette and House Dorden, a necessary link for Matron Santa Fe to carry out her treacherous plans. Every now and then, though, Alton's personal grudge against House Dorden caused him to forget his lowly place in this conflict. Looking up now at Santa Fe's bared power, he realized that he had overstepped the bounds of his position. At the back end of the mushroom grove, the southern wall of the cavern that housed Menzel Baranzen, was a small, heavily guarded cave. Beyond the iron-bound door stood a single room, used only for gatherings of the city's eight ruling matron mothers. The smoke of a hundred sweet-smelling candles permeated the air. The matron mothers liked it that way. After almost half a century of studying scrolls in the candlelight of Sociere, Alton did not mind the light. But he was indeed uncomfortable in the chamber. He sat at the back end of a spider-shaped table in a small, unadorned chair reserved for guests of the council. Between the table's eight hairy legs were the ruling mo matron mother's thrones, all jeweled and dazzling in the candlelight. The matrons filed in, pompous and wicked, casting belittling glares at the male. Sinefe, at Alton's side, put a hand on his knee and gave him a reassuring wink. She would not have dared to request a gathering of the ruling council if she was not certain of the worthiness of her news. The ruling matron mothers viewed their seats as honorary in nature and did not appreciate being brought together except in times of crisis. At the head of the spider table sat matron Banray, the most powerful figure in all men's Branson, an ancient and withered female with malicious eyes and a mouth unaccustomed to smiles. We are covered yet, Sanafe, Patron Banray said when all eight members of 
had found their appointed chairs. For what reason have you summoned the council? To discuss the punishment, Sanafe replied. Punishment? Matron Banray echoed, confused. The recent years had been unusually quiet in the drow city, without an incident before the Tekken-Dewey-Freth conflict. To the first matron's knowledge, no acts had been committed that might require a punishment, certainly none so blatant as to force a ruling council to action. What individual deserves this? Not an individual, explained Matron Senefe. She glanced around at her peers, measuring their interest. A house, she said bluntly. Damon Nashes Bernan, House Dorden. Several gasps of disbelief came in reply as Senefe had expected. House Dorden? Matron Banray questioned, surprised that any would implicate Matron Malice. By all of Banray's knowledge, Malice remained in high regard with the Spider Queen, and House Dorden had recently placed two instructors in the academy. For what crime do you dare to charge House Dorden? asked one of the other matrons. Are these words of fear, Senefe? Matron Banray had to ask. Several of the ruling matrons had expressed concern about House Dorden. It was well known that Matron Malice desired a seat on the ruling council, and, by all measures of the power of her house, she seemed destined to get it. I have appropriate cause, Senefe insisted. The others seem to doubt you, replied Matron Banray. You should explain your accusation quickly if you value your reputation. Sanifai knew that more than her reputation was at stake. Menzel Baranz and a false accusation was a crime on par with murder. We all remember the fall of House de Vere, Sanifai began. Seven of us now gathered sat upon the ruling council beside Matron Jennifer de Vere. House de Vere is no more, Matron Banray reminded her. Because of House Dorden, Sanifai said bluntly. This time the gasps came out as open anger. How dare you speak such words, came one reply. Thirty years, came another. The issue has been forgotten. Major Banray quieted them all down before the clamor rose into violent action, a not uncommon occurrence in the council chamber. Senefe, she said through the dry sneer on her lips, one cannot make such an accusation. One cannot discuss such beliefs openly so long after the event. You know our ways. If Althorn did indeed commit this act as you insist, it deserves our compliments, not our punishments. For carrying it through to perfection, Althorn is no more, I say. It does not exist. Alton shifted uneasily, caught somewhere between rage and despair. Sanafe was not far from dismayed, though this was going exactly as she had envisioned and hoped. Oh, but it does, she responded, rising to her feet. She pulled the hood from Alton's head. In this person! Jelrus, asked Matron Banray, not understanding. Not Jelrus, Sanafe replied. Jelrus Ned died the night House de Vere died. This male, Alton de Vere, assumed Jelrus's identity and position, hiding from further attacks by House Dorden. Banray whispered some instructions to the matron at her side, then waited as she went through the semantics of a spell. Banran, Banray motioned for Sanafe to return to her seat, then faced Alton. Speak your name, Banray commanded. I am Alton de Vere, 
Alton said, gaining strength from the identity he had wanted so very long to proclaim. Son of Maiden Genefee, and a student of Sorciere, on the night House Dorn attacked. Banry looked to the matron at her side. He speaks the truth, matron assured her. Whispers sprang up all around the spider table, of amusement more than anything else. That is why I summoned the ruling council, Sanefe quickly explained. Very well, Sanefe, said Matron Benray. My compliments to you, Alton Devere, on your resourcefulness and abilities to survive. For me, you have shown great courage and wisdom. Surely you both know that the council cannot exact punishment upon a house for a deed committed so long ago. Why would we desire so? Matron Mallis Dorden sits in the favor of the Spider Queen. Her house shows great promise. You must reveal to us greater need if you wish any punishment against House Dorden. I do not wish such a thing, Sanefe quickly replied. This matter, thirty years removed, is no longer in the realm of the ruling council. House Dorden does indeed show promise, my peers, with four high priestesses and a host of other weapons, not the least of which being their second boy, Drizzt. First graduate of his class. She had purposely mentioned Drizzt, knowing that the name would strike a wound in Matron Banray. Banray's own prized son, Burginian, had spent the last nine years ranked behind the wonderful young Dorden. And why have you bothered us? Matron Banray demanded, an, un an unmistakable edge in her voice. To ask you to close your eyes, son of a purred. Alton is a hornet now, under my protection. He demands vengeance for the act committed against his family, and, as a surviving member of the attacked family, he has the right of accusation. House Hornet will stand behind, beside him? Matron Banray asked, turning curious and amused. Indeed, replied Sanefe. Thus is House Hornet bound. Vengeance, another matron equipped, also now more amused than angered. Or fear, it would seem to my ears that the matron of House Hunet wishes uses this pitiful devere creature for her own gain. House Dorden aspires to higher ranking, and matron Mallet desires to sit upon the ruling council, a threat to House Hunet, perhaps. Be it vengeance or prudence, my claim, Alton Devere's claim, must be deemed as legitimate, she replied Sanefe, to our mutual gain. She smiled wickedly and looked straight to the first matron. To the gain of our sons, perhaps, in the quest for recognition. Indeed, replied Matron Banray in a chuckle that sounded more like a cough. A war between Hornet and Dorn might be to everyone's gain, but not, Banray suspected, as Sanefe believed. Malice was a powerful matron, and her family truly deserved a ranking higher than ninth. If the fight did come, Malice probably would get her seat on the council, replacing Sanefe. Matron Banray looked around at the other matrons and guessed from their hopeful expressions that they shared her thoughts. Let's Hunet and Dewarden face fight it out. Whatever the outcome, the threat of Matron Malice would be ended. Perhaps, Banray hoped, a certain young Dewarden male would fall in battle, propelling her own son to the position he deserved. Then the first matron spoke the words Sanefe had come to hear, the silent permission of Menzel Branson's ruling council. This matter is settled, my sisters, Matron Banray declared to the accepting nods of all at the table. It is good that we never met this day.
Chapter 19, Promises of Glory Have you found the trail? Trist whispered, moving up beside the great panther. He gave Guinevere a pat on the side and knew from the slackness of the cat's muscles that no danger was nearby. Go on, then, Trist said, staring off into the emptiness of the corridor in front of them. Wicked gnomes. My brother called them when we found the tracks by the pool. Wicked and stupid. He sheathed the scimitar and knelt beside the panther, his arm comfortable draped across Guinevere's back. They're smart enough to elude our patrol. The cat looked up as it had understood his every word, and Drizzt rubbed a hand roughly over Guinevere's, his finest friend's head. Drizzt remembered clearly the, his elation on the day, a week before, when Dinan had announced, to Messagenet's outrage, that Guinevere would be deployed at the patrol's point position beside Drizzt. "'The cat is mine,' Massage had reminded Dinan. "'You are mine,' Dinan, the patrol leader, had replied, ending any further debate. Whenever the figurine's magic would permit, Massage summoned Guinevere from the astral plane and bid the cat to run up in front, bringing Drizzt an added degree of safety and a valued companion. Drizzt knew from the unfamiliar heat patterns on the wall that they had gone the limit of their patrol route. He had purposely put a lot of ground.' More than was advised between himself and the rest of the patrol. Trist had confidence that he and Guinevere could take care of themselves, and with the others far behind, he could relax and enjoy the wait. The minutes Drizzt spent in solitude gave him the time he needed in his endless effort to sort through his confused emotions. Guinevere, seemingly non-judgmental and always approving, offered Drizzt a perfect audience for his audible contemplations. I begin to wonder the worth of it all, Driz whispered to the cat. I do not doubt the value of these patrols. This week alone we have defeated a dozen monsters that might have brought great harm to the city. But to what end? He looked deeply into the panther's saucer eyes and found sympathy there, and Driz knew that Guinevere somehow understood his dilemma. Perhaps I still do not know who I am, Driz mused, or who my people are. Every time I find a clue to the truth, it leads me down a path I dare not continue upon, to conclusions I cannot accept. You are a drow, came a reply behind them. Driz turned abruptly to see Dinan a few feet away, a look of grave concern on his face. The names have fled beyond our reach, Driz said, trying to deflect his brother's concerns. Have you not learned what it means to be a drow? Dinan asked. Have you not come to understand the course of our history and the promise of our future? I know of our history as it is taught to the academy, Driz replied. They were the very first lessons we received of our future and more so of the place we now reside, though I do not understand. You know of our enemies, Dinan prompted. Countless enemies, replied Drizzt with a heavy sigh. They fill the holes of the Underdark, always waiting for us to let down our guard. We will not, and our enemies will fail to our power. Ah, but our true enemies do not reside in the lightless caverns of our world, said Dinan with a sly smile. Theirs is a str world strange and evil. Drizzt knew who Dinan was referring to, but he suspected that his brother was hiding something. The fairies. Driz whispered, and all the word prompted a jumble of emotions within him. All of his life he had been told of his evil cousins, of how they had forced a drow into the bowels of the world. Busily engaged in the duties of his everyday life, Drizzt did not think of them often, but whenever they came to mind, he used their name as a litany against everything he hated in his life. 
If Driz could somehow blame the surface elves, as every other drow seemed to blame them, for the injustices of drow society, he could find hope for the future of his people. Rationally, Driz had to dismiss the stirring legends of the, of the elven war as another of the endless stream of lies, but in his heart and hopes, Driz clung desperately to those words. He looked back at Dinan. The fairies, he said again, whatever they may be. Dinan chuckled at his brother's relentless sarcasm. It had become so commonplace. They are as you have learned, he said, to, he assured Driz, without worth and vile beyond your imagination. The tormentors of our people who banished us in eons past, who forced... I know the tales, Driz interrupted, alarmed at the increasing volume of excited brother's voice. Driz glanced over his shoulder. If the patrol has ended, let us meet the others closer to the city. This place is too dangerous for such discussions. He rose to his feet and started back, Guinevard aside. Not as dangerous as the place I soon will lead you, Dinan replied with that same sly smile. Driz stopped and looked at him curiously. I suppose you should know, Dinan teased. We were selected because we are the finest of the patrol groups, and you have certainly played an important role in our attaining that honor. Chosen for what? In a fortnight, we will leave men to Brandon, explained Dinan. Our trail will take us many days and many miles from the city. How long? Trist asked, suddenly very curious. Two weeks, maybe three, Dinan re replied, but well worth the time. We shall be the ones, my young brother, who enact a measure of revenge upon our most hated foes, who strike a glorious Bow, blow for the spider queen. Driz thought that he understood, but the notion was too outrageous for him to be certain. The elves, Dinan beamed, we have been chosen for a surface raid. Driz was not as openly excited as his brother, unsure of the implications of such a mission. At last, he would get to view the surface elves and face the truth of his heart and hopes, something more real to Drizzt. The disappointment he had known for so many years tempered his elation, reminded him that while the truth of the elves might bring an excuse to the dark world of his kin, it might instead take away something more important. He wasn't sure how to feel. Surface, Alton mused. My sister went there once on a raid, a most marvelous experience, so she said. He looked at Massage, not knowing how to figure the forlorn expression on the young Annette's face. Now your patrol makes the journey. I envy you. I am not going, Massage declared. Why, Alton gasped, this is a rare opportunity indeed. Mons Branson, to the anger of Loth, I am certain, has not staged a surface raid in two decades. It may be twenty more years before the next, and by then you will no longer be among the patrols. Massage looked out over the small window of Alton's room in House Honette, surveying the compound. Besides, Alton continued quietly, up there, so far from prying eyes, you might find the chance to dispose of two Dordans. Why would you not go? Have you forgotten a ruling that you played a part in? Massage asked, whirling on Alton accusingly. Two decades ago, the Masses Associary decided that no wizards are to travel anywhere near the surface. Of course. Alton replied, remembering the meeting. Sorcieri seemed so distant to him now, though he had been within the Hunet house for only a few weeks. We concluded that drow magic may work differently, unexpectedly under an open sky, 
he explained. A man raped twenty years ago. I know the story, Massage growled, and he finished the sentence for Alton. A wizard's fireball expanded beyond its normal dimensions, killing several drow. Dangerous side effects, she masters called it, though I have a belief that the wizard conveniently is disposed of some enemies under the guise of an accident. Yes, Alton agreed. So said the rumors. The absence of evidence. He let the thought go, seeing that he was doing little to comfort Massage. That was so long ago, he said, trying to offer some help. Have you no recourse? None, Massage replied. Things move so very slowly in men's brands, and I doubt that the masters have even begun their investigation into the matter. A pity, Alton said. It would have been a perfect opportunity. No more of that, Massage scolded. Matron Senefe has not given me her command to eliminate Drizdor nor his brother. You have already been warned to keep your personal desire to yourself. When the matron bids me to strike, I will not fail her. Opportunities can be created. You speak as if you already know how Tyrus Dorn will die, Alton said. A smile spread over Massage's face as he reached into the pocket of his robe and produced the onyx figurine. His unthinking magical slave, which the foolish Tyrus had come to trust so dearly. Oh, I do, he replied, giving the statuette of Quenavar an easy toss then catching it and holding it out on display. I do. The members of the chosen raiding party quickly came to realize that they would be no ordinary mission. They did not go out on patrol for Menzelbranzen at all during the next week. Rather, they remained day and night sequestered within a barrack of Mille Mcthere. Through nearly every waking hour, the raiders huddled around in an oval table in a conference room, hearing the detailed plans of their impending adventure and over and over again master hatchnet the master of lore spinning his tales of the vile elves driz listened intently to the stories allowing himself forcing himself to fall within hatchnet's hypnotic web the tales had to be true Driz did not know what he would hold on to to preserve his principles if they were not. Dinan presided over the raised tactical preparations, displaying maps of the long tunnels the group had would travel, grilling them over and over until they had memorized the route perfectly. To this, as well, the eager raiders, except for Driz, listened intently, all the while fighting to keep their excitement from bursting out into a wild cheer. As the week of preparations neared its end, Driz took note that one member of the patrol group had not been attending. At first, Driz had reasoned that Massage was learning his duties in the raid in Sorciere with his old masters, with the desperate with the departure time fast approaching and the battle plans clearly taking shape, though, Driz began to understand that Massage would not be joining them. Where's Hal Wizard? Driz dared to ask in late hours of one session. Dinan, not appreciating the interruption, glared at his brother. Massage would not be joining us, he answered, knowing that the others might now share Driz's concern, a distraction they could not afford at such a critical time. Sorcier, eh? A decree no wizards may travel to the surface, Master Hatchnet explained. Massage Fournette will await your return in the city. It is a great loss to you indeed, for Massage has proven his worth many times over. Fear not, though, for a cleric of Arachtilith shall accompany you. What of Tris began above the approving whispers of the other raiders? Didn't cut his brother's thoughts short, easily guessing that the question, The cat belongs to Massage, he said flatly. The cat stays behind. I could talk to Massage, Driz pleaded. Dinan's stern glance answered the question without the need for words. 
Our tactics will be different on the surface, he said to all the group, silencing their whispers. The surface is a world of distance, not the blind enclosures of bending tunnels. Once our enemies are spotted, our task will be to surround them, to close off the distances. He looks straight at his young brother. We will have no need of a point guard in such a conflict. A spirited cat could well prove more trouble than aid. Drist had to be satisfied with the answer. Arguing would not help, even if he could get Massage to let him take the panther, which he knew in his heart he could not. He shook the brooding desires out of his head and forced himself to hear his brother's words. This was going to be the greatest challenge of young Drist's life and the greatest danger. The final two days of the battle plan became ingrained into every thought. Driz found himself growing more and more agitated. Nervous energy kept his palms moist with sweat and his eyes darted about too alert. Despite his disappointment over Guinevere, Driz could not deny the excitement that bubbled within him. This was the adventure he'd always wanted, the answer to his questions of the truth of his people. Up there in the vast strangeness of that foreign world lurked the surface elves, the unseen nightmare that had become the common enemy and thus the common bond of all the drow. Drizzt would discover the glory of battle, exacting proper revenge upon his people's most hated foes. Always before, Drizzt had fought out of necessity in training gyms or against the stupid monsters that ventured too near his home. Drizzt knew that this encounter would be different. This time, his thrusts and cuts would be carried by the strength of deeper emotions, guided by the honor of his people and their common courage and resolve to strike back against their oppressors. He had to believe that. Driz lay back in his cot the night before the raiding party's departure and brought his scimitars through some slow-motion maneuvers above him. This time, he whispered aloud to the blades while marveling at their intricate dance even at such a slow speed, this time your ring will sound out in the song of justice. He placed the scimitars down to the side of his cot and rolled over to find some needed sleep. This time, he said again, teeth clenched and his eyes shining with determination. Were his proclamations his belief or his hope? Driz had dismissed the disturbing question the very first time it had entered his thoughts, having no more room for doubts than he had been for brooding. He no longer considered the possibility of disappointment. He had no place in the heart of a drow warrior. To Dinan, though, studying Driz curiously from the shadows of the doorway, it sounded as if his younger brother was trying to convince himself of the truth of his own words. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. And that is the end of episode eight. I hope you're enjoying my tale so far as I read the wonderful story by R.A. Salvatore. The Legend of Drizzt, book one, Homeland. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Tell your friends and tell me how you feel about the podcast, what you think, everything that you like, that you don't like. I'm interested in hearing it all. You can leave messages to me here on Anchor, or you can even post your reviews on iTunes and the Google Play Music Store. Thank you again, and until next time, bye-bye.